0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So our title for tonight is The Purpose of Man. The Purpose of Man. And before we start, I want to ask us a question. What do you think your purpose is? What are you doing here on earth? What are you called to do? What is your purpose? And maybe to make it a little bit more specific. What is your primary purpose? What's the the chief end? The main goal? Why you are here. So maybe turn to the person next to you. And just quickly ask that question to one another. What are you doing here? What is your purpose? We really just think about it and answer one another. And try to think that you're not in church if you can, if it's possible. It's not the pastor that asked, someone at work came to you. Okay, great. Uh, who wants to go first? Who wants to share with us? Uh, we'll move around. Don't worry, we're a small group tonight. We have, we have, we have time for everybody to share. So who wants to <laughs> just make a joke again? Um, so, we see this beautiful one liner if you can call it that and the Westminster Catechism, and it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever the chief goal of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever that is our main purpose that's the reason we were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever and considering we in church you know maybe some of your answers focused a lot on that first point glorifying God in a number of ways. You know, you might have said, you know, to tell the world around you about God, to share the message of the gospel, to build up the saints for the work of ministry, to be a good steward of whatever God has given you, to work wherever you work as unto the Lord, to glorify God. But I want to ask us the question, how many of you in your answer had some type of shape or form of an enjoyment of God, you yourself enjoying God? Delighting in God, being with God. Not just being, but enjoying God. Did that form part of your answer? Does that come to mind when you think about God and the things that He's called you to do? To enjoy Him. And the two things are interrelated with one another. Glorifying God and enjoying God. Now John Piper says it well, he says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The thing that gives God the greatest glory is if we desire him above all else. You see, this is where the prosperity gospel fails and gets it wrong. It doesn't glorify God at all. Imagine going to people and saying, man, look at what God gave me. Look at my house, look at my family, man, and we have good health and we are never sick and we have all of these possessions and money. Look how great God is. And what we are saying is that because God gave me the things I actually delight in and I actually desire, therefore God is good. Man, isn't he a great means to an end? He wants to follow God. I'll I'll, I'll follow God, man. If there's two of those type of gods that can give me this stuff, I'll take both. That doesn't glorify God. But if we say that there's nothing on this earth that I desire more than to simply be with God, and there's nothing that I find more enjoying than simply being with God, laboring with God, praying to God, reading God's word to find out who he is, man, that is delightful, man, I enjoy that. That gives glory unto God. When everything isn't as it's supposed to be and life breaks down and stuff gets removed and we go through difficulties and still we say, God is my portion forever. That gives glory unto God. You see, the two things are related to one another. Many times we have the sense of duty and we go and proclaim certain things to the world or do certain things, but it looks more like a a laborsome task than something we enjoy. And it doesn't testify and it doesn't give glory unto God. Man, this thing that I have to do works by salvation. There's something interesting that sees Lewis writes as he reflects on the Psalms. These books and these letters and these songs where people continuously praise God, testify to the good things that he has done and to how great God is. And he sees something that has escaped him. He didn't know why he didn't think about it this way, but any enjoyment in life flows out in praise. Anything you enjoy, anything you delight in, you'll praise that. It's the inevitable outflow of the things that we delight and find enjoyment in and he makes this statement not only is it the, the inevitable outflow but it's something that brings completion to this joy to this fulfillment to this delight the joy isn't complete unless i praise and we see that around us we do that with stuff wasn't that beautiful isn't she lovely is game springbok rugby not always but Luckily, last night, we can testify to that. Amen. You know, the previous pastor that was here, Vannery, he always said, you know, he doesn't know if he's right or not, but he always prays for the bokeh before a game. <laughs> that they must win the desires of our hearts. But we do that. We praise the things that we delight in, that we find enjoyment in. Remember with that specific song that you listen to, I know I do that. You listen to a song, man, it's so beautiful and it speaks to a certain thing that you're going through at that certain time and it just moves you and everybody just has to hear the song. Who does that as well? My wife sometimes the unfortunate victim of that. Because she's busy and she's speaking to me and she wants to chat about all kinds of stuff but I just wanted to listen to the song and if she speaks while we're listening to it, I get upset. No, still via Leister, listen to the words. And if he doesn't have the same effect, you know, if she isn't moved and she's just, oh, that's more, then I get frustrated. You better enjoy it as I enjoyed it now. Doesn't it do the same? Everything we delight in, everything we enjoy in life, we inevitably give praise and we want other people to experience that as well. You now, and I'm sitting here in front, he shared last week about the church. The true church. And at the end, he shared the three purposes of the church, or the main purposes of the church. And he said the following The purpose of the church is number one, to minister to God, two, to minister to believers, and three, to minister to the world. You see, and we are the church. For those of you who were here last week, you know, the answer should have been quite easy to get to. If we are the church and this is the purpose of the church, then this is our purpose. This is what we're supposed to live out. And not only is this what God calls us to, but this is inevitably what will fulfill us in life. And in Ecclesiastics five, we sometimes think that this is the purpose when we come together as the church, when we're here on a Sunday, or maybe Wednesday, when we gather in a small group, then this is our purpose are called to do these things but maybe in life or when I'm not you know surrounded by other Christians or when we don't gather as the church then these are not my purpose I need to find delight and fulfillment in other things and Ecclesiastes 5 we write and we read that for him who loves money his money will never be enough for him who loves wealth his income will never suffice We weren't made to find fulfillment in this world so while this is our purpose it's inevitably the things that fulfill us as well, that we are supposed to find satisfying if we do it in the right order. And I want to be a little bit more devotional tonight as we look at a couple of things, but maybe just to do introspection before we head into the passage of Scripture. I want to ask us, when it comes to these three points, ministering unto God, you know, time spent with God, reading our Bibles, time in prayer, worshiping God ministering unto believers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, discipling one another and ministering to the world, shining a light to this world and testifying to the message of the gospel. How much of this do you see in your life? Just you sit. take a couple of seconds, quickly reflect. How much of this do you see in your life? How often do you see this in your life? You see, sometimes we're so busy rushing through life that we rarely pause just to engage. You know, if nobody's speaking that that thing that you hear, nothing. How often do you hear that? How often do you actually take time to reflect, to be still and just reflect on life, to wait upon God? How often? You see, the reason we should ask this question is because we live in a time where people think that specifically two and three, you know, ministering unto believers, discipling others, equipping the saints for the work of ministry and ministering to the world around us. That is left for a certain group of people, those in the full time ministry, those who work for the church. But like i you know, certain people are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But all of us are called to do the work of ministry. All of us are called to do that. And while certain people believe that that is actually reserved to a select group of people, there's still other group of people that know that that is what we should do, but we just never get to that point. point, two and three. We never get to a place where we can disciple others and, and we haven't really grown to a place where we minister unto the world. And then many times we'd say to ourselves, but luckily we're doing a lot of number one, spending a lot of time with God, you know, that, that, that's more the thing that I focus on. But that is then inevitably also being deceived because number two and number three is the inevitable outflow of doing number one. It flows out naturally. Like I just said, if you really enjoy God, spending time with God, being with God, you grow. And not only do you grow, but you inevitably have to praise God, testify to those around you, man, you won't believe what I read this morning thing that I discovered about God or how God has worked in my life, inevitably you'll share that with the world around you, ministering unto the world, the inevitable outflow. But we many times struggle to do number one and to do number one consistently. And I believe the reason for that is because we have a wrong view of what it means to minister unto God. There's some, some of you might even have thought, man, we, we changed the topic there from the intro to the second slide. I thought we were speaking about delighting in god now we're speaking about ministering unto god and we many times have this error this wrong way of thinking where we think ministering unto god means that we do stuff for god so that he will do stuff for us and that isn't what ministering unto god means it simply means that we enjoy god as he enjoys us and that is beautiful simply being with god and because we don't understand it right we don't do it sustainably and we actually approach it the wrong way around instead of working from a place of acceptance we work towards a place of acceptance and it burns us out we start off and we try to do it real hard but then it doesn't last we get burnt out because we're trying to earn approval we're trying to earn love we're trying to earn acceptance trying to show God that look we have what it takes many times you're doing quiet time Sounds like such a burden, man, I have to get up again and show God that I'm diligently following him so that he can give me grace and be there for me. That's not how it works. And that will inevitably tie you out because it's not meant meant to work that way. It's not meant to work that way. And we're gonna go through a passage of scripture that explains this beautifully. In Hebrews 12 from verse 18 to 29. And in this context, it's the writer of Hebrews writing to the Hebrews, encouraging them to run the race with endurance, to finish this race of faith. Not to to fall away for those areas of our lives that feel a little bit disjointed, a little bit hurt. For those not to be put out of joint, but to be healed so that we can follow God. To not fall away from grace. To live holy lives with which no one will see God. Speaks about discipline, speaks about running the race with endurance, living with peace with one another. And not to be sexually immoral like Esau and unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Meaning desiring the temporal gratification of this world above the things of God. That is what Esau did and in light of that, God says look at what Jesus Christ has done for us and then he gives us the application. But this passage of scripture, will again be difficult to understand if we don't understand the Old Testament. At least the passage of scripture that this text refers to in the Old Testament. And it'll kind of have the reverse effect. If we don't understand what this passage is pointing back to, we'll read that and we'll easily revert to a works-based gospel and we'll kind of be a little bit fearful. It will be a very intimidating passage. But I'll share that with us as we work through it. So let's read together, Hebrews 12 verse 18 to 29 for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire a darkness a gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given if any beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned indeed so terrifying was the sight that Moses said I tremble with fear When they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not the earth but also the heavens. The phrase yet once more indicates the removal of the things that are shaken, that is the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And in that word, the, the the worship that we should give to God can also be translated serve, that we can serve God. Same word used interchangeably in the Greek, serve or worship. The Afrikaans term "goede te dien" with in Frees. Our God is a consuming fire. And again, if we don't understand the context of this passage, it's quite a fearful thing. We see these warnings being given about a certain way of life that we should live. See it with that you are not unholy. See it with that you are not sexually more like Esau. And we hear this, this dark gloom, this tempest, this voice that shook the earth. And we read that we shouldn't refuse him who is speaking. Because those who refused him when he spoke on earth could not escape. How much less will we escape? And then we read that we should worship God and we should be grateful for our God is a consuming fire. And Very easily, if we don't understand the context, we revert to a kind of works-based gospel. And we think that the passage is trying to tell us that, man, we should try harder. Because God is going to devour us like fire. If we do not do what he tells us to do. And we many times understand that, man, I should try harder. I should be better to earn the salvation of God, or at least if God saved me by grace, then now I must do my part. Man, I better work to to remain in God's good graces. We easily read that into this passage. Disciple, someone that should try harder. You know, this last while my wife has been speaking to a couple of people, and she asked them the question, you know, what is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And the people jump off, and they start Naming a lot of things that we do. A disciple is someone that does the following. And we read Bible and we pray and we fast and we worship and we go to church and we go to small group and we should tell the world about Jesus and we should make disciples. We totally skip past the call of a disciple, simply someone that follows God. Someone that follows him. We initially call to follow Jesus before it gets to the stuff that we do for him. So easily revert to this works-based gospel. And again very important for us to understand the context you see we read in verse 18 to 20. for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire darkness and a gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made those that the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned And again, if you don't know the Old Testament, you're just like, what on earth happened there? Darkness, gloom, tempest, storms, and there's some kind of mountain that no animal should even touch. Otherwise, it will be stoned. The Old Testament was weird. I'm not going to read that. many times think that. But it's referring back to a passage of scripture in Exodus 19. As God was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And brought them to Mount Sinai where God appeared to them and there's also where God gave them the Ten Commandments and a lot of stuff happened there and it's important for us to understand the context the order of events firstly we should understand the order. you know one of the greatest visual aids painted by God for us about what salvation means in a spiritual sense was the Exodus out of Egypt God giving us this visual aid to help us understand what it means that God spiritually saves us you see the Israelites were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh. We slaves in this world under Satan, dead in sin, destined for God's wrath. And God delivers the Israelites out from slavery as he delivers us out from from slavery and saves us and brings us into his kingdom. And what is the first place that the Israelites, what the first thing that happens in the Exodus story? The Passover. The Israelites sacrificing the Passover lamb gracious from god so that they are covered by the blood of the lamb so that the angel of death passes over them so that they can move out of slavery we also need to apply the blood of the lamb jesus christ behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world and we start our exodus journey out of slavery and what is the first place that the israelites came to the red sea They came to the waters and God had to part the waters. And we read in the New Testament that they all were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea and under the cloud. What's our first step of obedience? Baptism. When we have applied the blood of the Lamb, we also have to go through the waters. Amen. And then we are in the desert like we are now awaiting and following God as he leads us to the promised land, heaven. One day. Great visual aid about what salvation actually means. And you know, what's interesting and something that we have to understand that is so beautiful about the story that God didn't give the Israelites the Ten Commandments in Egypt. They didn't cry out, God deliver us!" and God says, Okay, here's the Ten Commandments. Show me that you're good enough, then I will deliver you. He delivered them first. Grace first, salvation first. Then he gave them the Ten Commandments. And then he says, if you obey my voice, I will lead you to the promised land blessing will follow and not in a material sense that we many times think about today, but that's the order of things first grace first salvation, then obedience, then blessing the same way our lives work. Now, we do not obey and therefore we are saved, we are saved and therefore we obey very important to understand the order of events. And secondly, something that we have to understand is that if, if I ask the question, why did God deliver the Israelites out of Egypt? What is the answer? Many people will say to get them to the promised land. No. That's a secondary thing. That's not the primary purpose. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh, what did he tell them each and every time? Let my people go to do what? To worship me. To worship me. To serve me. I'm bringing them out to me. For me, to serve me, to worship me, to be with me. Each and every time. You know, I've heard people say that maybe it's okay if we, you know, tell half-truths to people. Because isn't that what Moses told Pharaoh? Let the Egyptians, uh, the, the Israelites go so that they can worship me. And meanwhile, as they were going out, they're actually going to run away to the promised land. No. That was the purpose. To worship God. To be with God. Very important for us to understand. And what's happening here, this dark cloud, this gloom, this tempest that the scripture is explaining is God himself descending upon the mountain. And many times it sounds a little bit strange for us because why would God descend in darkness? A thick cloud. God needs to descend in a thick cloud because if he doesn't, everybody dies. That's easy as that. Christ has not yet been sacrificed. God cannot show up in his full glory and people still allowed to live. No, they will die. So even that is grace from God, appearing in this thick cloud so that they can still live. And it's actually a wonderful thing that's busy happening here, an invitation that God gives to the Israelites. You see, many times we read this passage and we think that when God says that they refused him and therefore they did not escape, what they did was they didn't obey the 10 commandments, no. Again, it's not what this passage is speaking about. Yes, they failed to obey the Ten Commandments, but it's because they didn't heed to this initial invitation that God actually gave them. Listen to what God said to them. Exodus 19 verse 4 to 6. You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God brought them to himself. That's why he saved them. That's why he delivered them, to bring them to himself. And he says, I did so on eagle's wings. What well, does that mean? That God did everything. The Israelites just had to walk. But he covered them with the blood of the Lamb. He, he offered up the Lamb. He led them out. He pulled the Egyptians back. He opened up the sea. He closed the Egyptians in the sea again. But God did the work. They simply followed. And then it says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a, holy, a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you are, that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Interesting. You shall be a kingdom of priests, not a kingdom with priests, a kingdom of priests. A priest is someone that ministers to God and mediates between God and man. We go and we serve God and out of that flows us serving the people around us, bringing the nations into this covenant. But it was God intent that all of Israel be priests unto him, not just certain people. And then we read that eventually they were a kingdom with priests, not a kingdom of priests. And then luckily jesus comes in the new testament in one of the descri- descriptions giving to the church is what a kingdom of priests a holy nation in the book of first peter in the second chapter we are now a kingdom of priests every one of us ministering unto god but that was god's intent for the israelites He might have wanted all of them to draw near to god and obviously they couldn't draw near as we can draw near now thanks to the blood of christ but they all could that, that was what God intended, that the whole of Israel draw near as God descends on the mountain and that all of them hear him speak. That he could lead them. They couldn't draw as near as we can. Now, not even Moses. Many times we think that Moses could enter into the presence, you know, like, like fullness. He could go up the mountain. But even when he said, Lord, show me your glory, God said, you have to hide in the cleft of the rock. Otherwise you will also die. So that was the invitation given by God to the people. And look how they responded. Chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. Now all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Do not let God speak to us. As that chap, as we read in Hebrews right now, a message that when those who heard said, do not let any further word be spoken to us. We don't want to speak to God. You speak to God. We, we will listen to you. And I understand that in the context of the Israelites. When I read scripture, right, I, I think to one would have also been there saying, no, you speak to God. We don't want to speak to God lest we die. But the thing is, we still do that this side of the cross and that I don't understand. That the invitation is given to draw near to God, to sit in God's presence, to hear God speak. And we still say, no, we're not going to do that. We would rather that the ministers, the people around us, let them hear from God. We'll just sit and we'll listen and we'll see what they have to say, but we're not gonna draw near. And many times just out of passivity, sometimes, Out of a little bit of fear. You you can understand kind of the context of the Israelites as they draw near to God. Why they experience such immense fear. Because in the light of holiness we actually see how unholy we actually are. How sinful we actually are. You see the problem that we have as people we think that we are better than we actually are. We think we are more holy than we actually are. We think we are more righteous than we actually are. And all of a the sudden, we confronted with the Holy God, and we see no, that is not the case. That is why Scripture is not the favorite book to read, because we read it and we think, man, I fall short. And there was actually a, a lady that gave a group of secular students, people that don't know Christianity, have not, never heard about Christianity, have never been confronted with Christianity, and she gave them the Sermon on the Mount to read. And write a paper about. Everybody hated it. Man, they hated it. They said, no, they've never heard such nonsense. Man, who can live up to this standard? Why? Because it convicts us. Even if you look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery. Even if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. It's like, Lord, what, what's this? And all of a sudden, we see. Now, there's this one lady, I forgot her name, she's a, a counselor at uh, the grand universities in America where all of the smart kids go and she says you know one of the things that they actually use to 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 kind of withhold a good self-image like we tend to think that we are more moral than other people we are better than we are not so sinful we're not that bad well they think you know they're smarter than that kind of sets them apart Kind of makes me feel okay about myself that I'm smarter than most people. And all of a sudden you get to these Ivy League universities and you're either as smart or less smart than the people around you all of a sudden. And your justification doesn't hold up. And man, they sit in with counseling with this woman because all of a sudden their worlds fall apart because they see that they are not that smart in light of people that are smarter. The same thing happens when we approach God. Our God is a consuming fire. He wants to consume all that is unholy and unrighteous in us. And sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes that's why we don't read scripture, we don't pray, we don't want to enter into the presence of God because all of the things in this world that we actually find the light in starts to shake because God wants to remove them. And we become aware of the things that God actually wants of us. The things that he speak, if God says confess this, do this, lay that thing down, then all of a sudden we shut down and we, we run out of there. No, we don't want to. And sometimes it's simply because we, we don't understand the gospel. Sometimes we are so tired of trying to show God that we are good enough. And inevitably, our good works, God has to reject it because it isn't good enough. It's only when we realize we're not and that Jesus Christ paid the price that we can enter into the presence of God. Knowing that we already accepted, it, not because of anything we've done, but because of what God has done. You see this mountain that they ascended to that trembled and the smoke and the fire and the fear we come to a different mountain see the writer makes this contrast in verse 22 to verse 24 but you did not come to this other mountain but contrast you came to another mountain but you have come to mount zion and to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festival gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This isn't Mount Sinai. We are coming to Mount Zion. This isn't where the law was given. Moses ascended up the mountain to bring down the Lord. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven to pour out the spirit. This is a different mountain. This isn't where the law was given. This is where grace was poured out. And when we draw near to this mountain nothing shakes nothing burns nothing quakes why because jesus christ descended the mountain first you see when he went to jerusalem and when jesus was crucified we read matthew 27 verse 45 when jesus was crucified there was darkness over the whole land that cloud of darkness descended again and in verse 50 when jesus cried out and breathed out his last breath the earth shook and the rocks were split in two, and the temple curtain torn to Jesus ascended the wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ. So that when we draw near to the mountain, nothing shakes, nothing quakes. We do not tremble in fear, thinking that man today, I die because someone else died in my place. This is a different mountain. We don't have to quake, we don't have to tremble. You see, when the writer of Hebrews says that draw near to the throne of grace with boldness, we many times interpret that, that man, if I have low self-esteem or if I, I don't think I measure up in the presence of God, don't worry, I can have boldness. The Hebrews, that the writer of Hebrews are writing to, they are thinking to themselves, no, I can't because surely I will die. Surely I cannot enter the presence of God and live. And he said, no, someone else took your place. Someone else died on your behalf so that you can enter and not experience that wrath, that fear and that trembling. You see, in light of that, in this context, we read in verse 24 and 25. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. The blood that speaks a better word than Abel. See, Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground because his brother murdered him. And we all in our sin have a share in murdering the innocent son of God and his blood also cries out, but not for vengeance, not for judgment, but his blood cries out grace, forgiveness, reconciliation to all who have faith in Christ. We can be reconciled to God again. Do not refuse him who is speaking. It's not God saying, you better obey my word. No, it's God saying, I died for you. Won't you come and have fellowship with me? Won't you draw near Hebrews 10.22, in light of the priestly work of Jesus Christ on the cross, what does God call us to do? Let us then draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. The heart sprinkled clean and the bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near into covenant with God. You see, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 11 to 21, speaking about the ministry that we've received. And he calls it the ministry of reconciliation. It means the restoration of a friendly relationship that in christ god reconciled the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them we were reconciled to god we can walk in relationship with god again yes we are in the wilderness like the israelites was but we have been brought back to god that is what salvation means primarily god wants to have relationship with us and let this following thought just quickly sink in god delights in you being with him. Just you being with him. Before you've done anything, before you do stuff for him, before you minister to people, before you go and reach the world, God delights in simply you being with him. And because we don't see that, we see ministering unto God as this laborsome task. You see when Ham shared about the images of the church, he mentioned four, The building of Christ, the body of Christ. The body of Christ, a little relational, you know, we need one another and we are tied to the head. But the second two, very relational, the family of God, the household of God. When I think about my wife and my kids, man, it's people that I have a relationship with. The most intimate relationship with, before they do anything. My kids, we are sons and daughters of God. Before we do stuff, God loves us and he delights in us being with him. For those of us who have babies man you know they they don't do much for you in fact they cry they scream and they shoot stuff out both ends that you have to clean up yet we love them yet we love them and we delight to be with them even when god uses us for ministry the same way he can do it on his own but he wants to do it with us yesterday with my oldest boy We have a couple of dogs and we were cleaning up the yard. Some of the mess that they make. Uh, All the little buckets and he has the poop scoops shovel. And he wants to help. But he wants to help while playing golf, if you know what I mean. Man, he needs a mess and I I have to catch. I have to bring it close and I have to do most of the work as he just does stuff. And that's the same way God many times uses us. He does most and he directs stuff. And it'll be a, loss, um, uh, a lot less messy if God just does it on his own. be a lot quicker as well. I could have just taken both things from my son and said, no, that I'll do this on my own. It's going to be a, a, let, a lot less messier and quicker if I just do it myself. But I delight in spending time with my son and just doing stuff together. We have to get this. You have to understand this, but in light of who God is, that's why I say the the last couple of sermons, they matter. It's that God, it's that Jesus that delights in you being with him. That should blow your mind. That should blow your mind. And the second image, this relational image, the bride of Christ, next to God, the most intimate relationship that we should have. And also not because we do stuff for one another, but we delight and we enjoy one another, simply being with one another. And that is beautiful. See in chapter 5, verse 26, that humpshade of Ephesians. It says that Christ laid down his life for the church to present her to himself. Himself. He saved us for himself to present us to himself so that he can be with us and so that we can be with him. That is ministering unto God. We enjoying God as he enjoys us. That is beautiful. And it's in light of this invitation. But it says therefore let us be grateful see now that makes sense would have not made sense if this holy god that is a consuming fire simply told us to be better or else we will not escape therefore be grateful and that's not a lot to be grateful for but in light of this invitation of a holy god taking our place so that we can ascend into the throne room of god without experiencing the trembling and fear that the israelites did in mount sinai and that I will be grateful for. And it still says, and this let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and offer. God is in a consuming fire. He's still a consuming fire. He's still going to consume the stuff in our life that's not supposed to be there. But that is still grace. It speaks about the things that are shaken. Let God shake the shaking, shaking things away. They are temporal. They are not eternal. They won't matter. But let him come and do that deep work. But let us be grateful and let us worship God in light of that, knowing that he delights in us being with him, delighting in God as he delights in us. And out of that place, all that is good and beautiful will simply flow from our lives. And I have to say that I needed this. I, I lived past this, this last couple of months. You know, when encounter four was finished, I thought to myself, okay, that is the, la- the last encounter that we have for the year shutdowns coming up I'm just gonna sit back I'm a little bit tired and I realized I'm tired because I didn't live out of this place the ministry to the disciples were there the ministry unto the world was there but it was tiresome because I forgot this that God simply delights in me being with him as I delight in being with him so as you wake up tomorrow morning as you go tonight and you make that cup of coffee or that cup of tea Sit and finish it first before you start praying, before you start reading. Just enjoy the presence of God. Allow God to come and reveal this to you. This will never sink in this side of eternity as it should. I'm sure of that. I mean, just to ask you the question, do you believe that you just simply being with God, He delights in that? He enjoys that. Just quickly for yourself, that question, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? God delights in your presence, simply being with you. Before you've done stuff for him, do you believe that? A holy, righteous God. It'll never sink in as it should, but hopefully a little bit more as we approach heaven, amen? Let's stand tonight, and pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that we can come before you. Thank you, Lord, that you are a holy, righteous God. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one through whom and to whom everything exists. Lord, you came and you laid down your life so that we can be with you. You saved us for yourself. And I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us standing here tonight, Lord, that primarily thought, Lord, that you saved us to do stuff, Lord. This isn't Norse God theology, that the gods created man to serve them because you need something, Lord. You need nothing. You are the great I am. You need nothing, Lord. You didn't create us because you need worship. You also don't need to be glorified. But you are worthy of all glory. You belong, Lord. Because you are you, you are you, Lord. You deserve it, Father, but you don't need it, Father. You didn't create us, Father, so that we can fulfill something lacking. But to be with you, Lord, you gave yourself for us. Lay down your life to reconcile us to you, Lord. And I come and pray, Lord, that you'd break down, Father, every awful mentality that we might have, Father. Every slave mentality, Lord, that we should slave for you, Father, that we should do a lot of stuff so that you can be pleased. And again, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace and reveal to us, Lord, that we live that way. Sometimes difficult to believe, but many times we live that way. Lord. I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, you will reveal to us right now if we have that mentality. If you are here and you are tired, last while you're just busy striving living past this place of ministering unto God enjoying God as he enjoys you if that is you just there you stand you just lift up your voice to God say Lord I repent in return Father I, I, I repent of moving past that place of trying to do a lot of stuff for you instead of just simply being with him this is god if sp- people speak about the presence of god we're experiencing the presence of god and you have no idea what that means just there we used and won't you lift up your voice to god and say lord here i am father come reveal to me the love of christ come and pour out your spirit in my heart Lord. whatever it is that god reveals to you do that if it's sin to repent of if it's things to turn away from and it's tough to confess whatever he reveals to you do that not refuse him who is calling. He's calling you into relationship with himself. Thank you, Lord, that this can change for our whole perspective on life. The way we approach you, Lord, the way we approach ministry, the way we approach the life around us, Father. Knowing that you love us, Lord, you delight in us, you saved us from first salvation, then obedience, then blessing. But we don't so that we can be saved we obey because we are saved thank you for your grace thank you Jesus for taking the punishment the wrath that we deserve on yourself so that we can enter into a relationship I pray Father while this was information would you come and give the revelation what this means for in our hearts, for in our spirits Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name.